Hey, this is Heather from the media team here at Word Alive. This week, we're talking about our three-pronged vision, which is 5,000 worshipers, 1,000 houses of light, and $1 million given to minister the poor through Project 58, and how it all fits into the big picture. Enjoy this message. Uh, started uh, three weeks ago on a series called The Big Picture. And we're talking here at Word Alive over the next few weeks of something on these lines. When church works, church works. We believe the greatest entity in the earth for God's purposes is the local church. We believe that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We believe that the church of God, the church in the earth is God's purpose and God's plan to establish his kingdom purposes and to allow life transformations to exist. So we are big fans of the local church. So we wanted, to under, we wanted to paint a big picture, and we wanted to help everybody kind of see the picture, if you will, of how church, work, church works so that you can be fully engaged. And so we started week one, uh, and we, we talked a simple vision or a simple strategy of attend one, serve one. And so we realized that the first step into church life is to attend worship as you're doing here this morning. And we talked about the benefits of it. We had chairs, a church chair, an office chair, and a home chair. And talked about the time we spend in each chairs. And that, that one hour in that church chair so drastically impacts the other times you're in the other two chairs. It's well worth the getting up and getting out on Sunday morning to worship Jesus and to receive an impartation from the teaching and preaching of God's word because it so empowers our life. But we also realize that when you engage that way and you begin to hear the Word of God and encounter the presence of God, it should in turn cause you to want to serve others. And so simply attend one, serve one. If you didn't get a chance to see it, you can go online and watch it. Last week, we talked about two, two leadership roles. We talked about elders and deacons. And our point was simply this, that there's elders, which are idea people, which deal with words and in their head, but then there's deacons, which are, at, which are people who at, apply the word, which is with hands in work. And why did we talk about that? Because we wanted everybody to realize that there is a place for you in the church. Everybody's not a preacher. Everybody's not a teacher or a worship leader. But everybody's been gifted for some purpose so that God can use you in establishing his kingdom in the earth. So touch two or three or four people around you and say, there's something God's calling you to do. Tell them. Go ahead and tell them that. We went on and we talked about it was time to mature. That we can't just keep sitting around as immature Christians uh, being fed the milk of God's word. When God clearly calls us to feed on the meat of his word and to grow up and mature as sons of God in the earth. And we found that in Hebrews and we, and we expounded on it. And then we talked about that when that happens, people start carrying and sharing the load together. And when we do, it's exponential growth. We realized in Acts chapter 6, when the deacons and the elders got to function together, the church went from addition to multiplication. And then the church began to multiply greatly. So that brings us up to today. And we'll get our guys to help us bring our board out. I believe it's coming from this side. And today is number three. And we're going to be talking today about vision. Appreciate Chris and Dean helping us. And slide this over, guys. Servants of the Lord. Every time I want to help Dean, he's like, don't touch it. Hands off. Now comes the most frightening part of each week, my, that my fear of heights. Yeah. 
Y'all don't know how really afraid I am of heights, do you? I'm trembling. Today we're going to about talk about a three. Let me make sure I write this really well today. Can y'all read that? A three-pronged vision. Vision is so important. If you understand the spiritual life, when I'm talking about vision, I'm not talking about goals. I'm not talking about something where we all get in a room and come up with some great goals. When I'm talking about vision, I'm talking about something spiritual. And in reality, if you are a follower of Jesus, you should have vision. Because the Bible actually talks about being born again as actually receiving vision. In John chapter 3, verse 1, it talks about Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night. I call him Nick at night. And he came to Jesus at night. And when he came to Jesus, Jesus said something like this. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And talk, born again is not just about not going to hell or going to heaven. Born again is actually when you, your spiritual eyes are open and you begin to see differently than you saw before because now you have spiritual eyes. So Ephesians 5 confirms that to us when it says something like this, Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. Amen. Illumination, revelation, so that you can see. And so I want to start us on this journey today about vision from a very familiar portion in the Bible. It's Acts chapter 8, and it's about the Apostle Paul, and uh, well, actually it's Acts chapter 9, it's about the Apostle Paul, and I was going to go a whole different direction this morning, and I got up, and this is, Lord put this in my heart, and I grabbed my Bible and opened it, and I was like, all right, here we go. And I'm going to read you a lot of scripture here to get us started, but... <clears throat> I'm going to pause in between because I was so inspired by this story of the Apostle Paul that most of you should be familiar with and his journey concerning vision. I'll just start in verse 3. It says, as he journeyed, Paul came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone from heaven. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus. Whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Bam. I read this this morning. So many people I talk to about vision is always about them. Even in my own life, what is my vision? What is God going to do for me? What is God going to do for my family? What is God going to do? But in reality, if you get a true spiritual vision, it's not, God, what are you going to do for me? It's, God, what do you want me to do for you? That's a true spiritual vision. Y'all catch me on it. I know that's not. And the men who journeyed with him... Well, let me go back. Then the Lord said to him, Arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. I'll pause there a minute. When God starts speaking to you about spiritual vision, you may be the only one in your family that's seeing it right now. 
You may be the only one in your, in your sphere of influence that's seen it. Others may hear about it, and under, and, but they won't understand it. And that's okay because unless you have spiritual eyes, you can't understand what God's doing. This. Man, when I first got saved and I first had an encounter with God, people didn't understand what was going on with me. Man, I'd lock myself in my bedroom for hours at a time seeking God. I, I, I went on fast. I quit eating at times. People thought, he's, go, you know, he's gone crazy. And I hadn't gone crazy. I had got a vision from God, and God was talking to me about what he wanted me to do for him. And so Saul rose from the ground, and when his eyes were open, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus, and he was there three days without sight and neither food nor drink. Isn't it interesting? God sometimes has to take away your sight so he can give it to you. So here he can't see anything for a season because God was changing his vision. Now, here's where I got really fired up reading this today about vision. So now there was a certain disciple. Somebody say disciple. This shows you the power of a disciple. There was a certain disciple. It didn't say he was a bishop. It didn't say he was an apostle. It didn't say he was a prophet, a pastor. It says a certain disciple. That shows me when somebody is a true follower or disciple of Jesus, walking in visions, there are great exploits God can use disciples to do for his glory and his purpose. So there's a certain disciple at, at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision. Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said, arise, go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he's praying. Watch this. And in a vision. Are you seeing this? And in a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. Now, I love where Ananias just gets real practical. He says, Lord, I've heard about this man. Are you talking about the man that has been killing people and killing Christians and killing saints in Jerusalem and actually has the authority from the chief priest to bind or kill anybody? who calls? You talking about me going laying hands on that guy? How many of you know when God speaks to you about a vision, it ain't always the most comfortable thing to go after, right? Lord, if you got the right person, then Lord, if it's you, let 10 camels pass before me right now. So, you know, we start putting out fleeces, don't we? <clears throat> the Lord said, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine. To bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, laying his hands on him. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Isn't that powerful? So when he had received food, right? He was strengthened. And then he spent some days with the other disciples, equipped. And I love verse 20, and immediately... He preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. 
if, to me, that's the most beautiful picture of all of us who are called to follow Jesus. It takes a spiritual encounter. People say following Jesus is a decision. I, I understand that on some level. But I know there's a lot of mental decisions that are made that aren't true conversions. A true conversion is when you have a spiritual experience with God and your spiritual eyes get open and you begin to see everything differently. And so it's important today that you and I have vision from the Lord. That we have our spiritual eyes open so that we can do what God has called us to do. As Paul the Apostle was empowered by the Holy Spirit asking, Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? The Western church, we have to change our mentality. It's not God only, what can you do for me? It's Lord, what do you want me to do for you? You'll notice as we take this journey together, the first two weeks were totally about me and you. But as we continue this journey, you'll see the focus changing and the focus leaves us and becomes, Lord, thank you for everything you've done for me. But now, Lord, what do you want me to do for you? And we move from the milk of God's word to the meat of God's word. And we begin to find our purpose and our destiny and our calling and what God is actually equipping and empowering us to do. This whole church that we, that we enjoy here, Word Alive, it's not a denominational church. It's not a church that was built by plans of man. It's not a church that was, that was derived from, you know, a committee that got together to think having a church was a good idea. It started with vision. I had no vision to be a pastor. I, my vision was to keep traveling the world as a missionary. But God set me down and showed me himself with a key in his hand. And he told me, go to Alabama. Get up. I was living in Florida. Get up and go to Alabama. It's going to be detrimental for you and my purposes. I'll just go ahead and tell you how it started. And whether you believe me or not, it's just how it happened. I was dreaming and the Lord began to show me the water tables of the earth. And how they worked. And then he got frustrated with me. Like, you're never going to get this, are you? And he simply said, get up. Move to Alabama. There's a work for me that I want you to establish. And it's going to be detrimental for my kingdom purposes if you don't obey me in this season. We got up and moved to Alabama. We still didn't know we were going to plant a church. We were still moving in and out of traveling, out of the Atlanta airport as missionaries traveling. Then all of a sudden I was praying one day and my spiritual eyes were open and I saw Jesus standing at the four-way intersection where the mall here is, is in Oxford and he gave me a key. And he said, gave me this scripture. He said, I, I, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the Lord said, I want you to establish a local church. I'm like, Lord, that's not what I'm called to do. Lord said, may not be what you're called to do, but that's what I called you to do. Come on, somebody. I had no idea how to start a church. I never pastored a church. I was traveling to the Ukraine. I, that's what I wanted to do. And so I'm in, the U, I'm in Ukraine, Ukraine preaching, and I asked the pastor, I said, hey, how do you start a church? He said, ah, oh, very easy. You get building, 
you preach gospel, you cast out devil, you heal sick, you save people, you start church. I was like, all right. So I come back, had about eight followers at the time, most of my family, and I, and, and, and I said, hey, I got the vision. They said, how are we going to do it? I said, very easy. <laughs> we get building. We preach gospel. We cast out devil, heal sick, save souls, start church. They're like, crazy. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Amen. We went to a movie called Field of Dreams. And the title and the, the caption that hit me was, build it and they'll come. We built a building for 500 people before we had any people. I wanted to build for 200. I thought it would be a miracle to have 200 people come in Coldwater to worship Jesus at one place. They convinced me for 500. Three, three days before we got the keys to the building, we built it before we had any people. Three days before we got the keys to the building, my dad died. Our first service was his funeral. And that's how people found out we had a church. And people started, and the very first Sunday, I was up preaching like I am, and I thought, here's what's going to happen. We're going to have a pretty good, decent crowd, and I'm going to preach, and they're going to realize I'm a decent preacher. And they're going to say, William, we need to come to this church, right? So I got up, and I started preaching. It was the worst sermon ever. You know that kind? You know that kind? You're like, man, is he ever going to get this thing done? You know, that, 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 kind of, that kind of sermon? And you know how it is when preachers are trying to preach something that's not working, and they, they try harder? Then they start sweating, and they start hollering, and, and then it just gets worse. That was what was happening. I'll never forget it. And I'm like, oh, Lord, this is not good. You know, this is my only chance to impress everybody. So I finally said, I, I, I got to shut this thing down. This ain't working. I'll never forget. I shut my Bible just like that, and I said, hey, hold, hold on. Let's, let's stop. This is horrible. It's, it's the worst sermon I've ever heard. <laughs> So, so I know it's got to be the worst you've ever heard. So um, here's the deal. I don't know what I'm doing. I've never done this before. I don't have a clue uh, how to do this. All I know is in a vision, God told me to do this. And all I believe is that if God told us to do it, his presence will be here with us and his presence will be the difference maker. And when I said that, the presence of God fell and the whole atmosphere changed. All of us were weeping in the presence of God and that's how the church was launched. And so now we've been journeying a long time at the church. And, and so now we're, I believe, in a brand new season, a vision of what God is saying. And it's important that we all get our own spiritual vision. I'm not saying you have to buy into the vision of this church. But if God has given you a vision, it will include a church. Amen. It may not be this church. But there will be a church that you, that if you are called, if you're getting a God vision, part of that vision will you, it was you being connected to a church, to a body of Christ, because that's the way God does things in the earth. You don't have to be connected to this church, but you must be connected. You can't be connected to the head if you're not connected to the body. All right. So what is the three prong vision for our church what is it that God is asking us to do or has shown us we must do I kind of got carried away up there so I'm going to have to kind of show you that one is 
5,000 worshipers. 5,000 worshipers. Now you say, how in the world did you come up with that? Never forget it. We were being, we'd been going about a year. We had a great crowd come. We had six, 700 people in a year. I thought, whew, this thing was easy. What's, what do you want me to do next, Lord? I mean, we were rolling. And uh, I'll never forget, I walked over to Maddox Hall, that first building. I was just walking in on a Saturday praying, just thanking the Lord. Just, Lord, this is awesome. Never believed it would be like this. This is amazing. Can't believe you sent all these great people. Isn't this wonderful? Yada, 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 yada. And all of a sudden, the Lord said, don't you quit. Why are you quitting? I said, Lord, I, didn't, I wasn't quitting. He said, this is not it. He said, this shall be a house of 5,000. And immediately gave me a scripture in Kings. I think it's 1 Kings 13. I think maybe, it's, maybe we can throw it up on the screen. I won't go into the details of it with you today. But it was basically when Elijah went to the king and said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to open the window and, and shoot an arrow. And I want you to take an arrow and prophetically I want you to strike the ground. And if you'll strike the ground, you will defeat the enemy. And it says the king took the arrow and he struck the ground, but he only struck it three times and he stopped. And Elijah came back and he told the king, he said, why did you quit? If you, had a, if you had kept striking the ground with that arrow, you wouldn't have got partial victory. You would have gotten complete and total victory if you had not have quit. And see, I'm convinced so many churches quit. You get to a place that you think you're successful or you think you've done, you know, what you were supposed to do, and we stop. But that's not what God called us to do. God said, we shall be a house of 5,000. You say, why is that important? Well, if numbers are only important if you care about people. It's not, it's not I need 5,000 to get my identity in a church of 5,000. But if you care about people, then this is important because I'm not looking for 5,000 people to say we can have a successful church. I'm looking for 5,000 people because I know if you get 5,000 people that the Lord told you to get, then they've got a vision as well with you. There is nothing that we can accomplish in God's timing and purposes if we get together in God's purpose. Can you dream with me a minute what it would look like with 5,000 people worshiping Jesus? This is what God's vision is for us. And so if we're going to move with God's vision, we've got to understand we can't stop. we got a great church. I love our church. But if we understand 5,000, you say, well, what does that mean to me, Kent? Well, if, that, if that's true and that's a vision from God, then that means this is going to become really important. Because our serve team right now can't serve 5,000 people. That means some, some people's going to have to start finding out what's my place because I'm talking, if you're talking 5,000 people, you're talking about five services. You're talking about work. Come on, somebody. And why does, why does, why does a lot of churches stop? Because it's work. This is great. Everybody's got a place to sit. Some of you even have your own chair. It's like you sit there every, that's your chair. God forbid somebody's in it when you get here too. You know what I'm talking about? Like, excuse me, that's my chair. 
And I understand it. It's comfortable in the parking lot. We cruise in. Hey, what's up? Good morning. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I said that last week. You know, I said the Catholics, they do this coming in. We're lovers. They're this coming in. You know, but that's all right with me. But... But what's going to happen when you got 5,000 people trying to get in here? But see, we've got prophecies over our church that I-20 would be backed up with people trying to get here, not because of me or you, but because the presence of the God was so strong in our midst that when people walked on the property, they would lose their devils, their bodies would be healed, their addictions would be broken, and their eyes would be open like Paul to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's why I got it. That's why I bought into it. I didn't buy into a local church that we're just cozy, comfortable Christians. I bought in for the harvest. That we would be harvesters together to see multitudes come to Jesus and their lives radically changed. Well, not only that, this is a, what we call a house of light. We felt like the Lord showed us a thousand houses of light. Bev had an amazing vision. And in this vision, she saw houses. And they were portals to where heaven was open. And there was a beam of light coming out of that house connecting to heaven. And there was a thousand houses across this region that were literally portals of God's glory. And every, the whole city, our city, our state, the whole southeast region was covered with a thousand houses of light. And you say, why is that important? Because gross darkness is covering the face of the earth. Terrorism, sickness, death, disease, addiction, destruction is rampant. Now it's time. We don't have to pray against the darkness. All we got to do is turn on the light. And I'm not talking about, see, what people don't realize is when, I, when we saw this vision of a thousand houses of light, we're not talking about just people getting blessed. We're talking about your illuminating factor changed your neighborhood. In other words, when somebody came in your neighborhood to kill somebody, they weren't able to kill anybody because there was a light of, come on, somebody. That's when cancer started walking down through your neighborhood that somebody said, uh-uh, the blood of Jesus is on this door and you are not welcome. You've got to pass over this. That's when poverty tried to overtake a community. They said, uh-uh, the abundance of God is on this place for we are living in covenant standing with God. Because we all know the church is not here this is where we're equipped, but the church is out there. And this is awesome, and I love this, but this is actually more important. Because you can gather crowds. You, you can get people to come together. You can get people to celebrate but I'm talking about moving from people that will celebrate with you to people that will sacrifice with you. 
Isaiah 6, he says, Arise and shine, for your light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will rise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. See, what people don't realize is that Islam, they're invading nations. They're not invading militarily. They're just going to nations, and they're getting a stronghold, and what do they do? Every morning they start praying. And they're just trying to establish purposes. They call them terrorist cells. And they're mobilizing around an agenda. And so I'm not, I'm not against uh, Muslims. I'm talking about radical Islam. But they're, but they're very purposed with an agenda. While a lot of the church were asleep. And we don't realize that it's our time to arise and shine. And so I'm not talking about just personal purposes. I'm talking about we establish a house of light so that we can be an illuminating factor in darkness and so that we can squelch plots of terrorism, plots of the enemy. We can, we can through our prayerful, purposeful gathering in homes around our Rosh Kadesh gatherings aligning with heaven, cause heaven to open and angels to be activated because I do believe in angels and see the ladder ascended with angels ascending and descending and transform the spiritual atmosphere of our communities. It's very biblical. This is what's called koinonia, fellowship. It's found in 1 John 1, 5. It says, this is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light and have fellowship one with another... The blood of Jesus, his son, will cleanse us from all of our sins. So when we move out of this into this level of commitment to where we're literally opening our homes for the presence of God, and I'll be talking to you about how to do that in the days ahead, and we begin to open our homes and make them available to be houses of light, God is going to visit us in supernatural ways. And it's going to come a day where we're not going to be coming to church expecting somebody to get saved, but we're going to be coming to church and say, three people got saved at my house. We baptized them in the tub, and we brought them to church this morning. Hey, I just want to introduce you to such and such. This person, they got radically healed of cancer at my house Tuesday night while we were gathered together. And they just want to come and testify of the glory of God. Hey, I got three friends of mine. They're, they were addicted to heroin. They drove by my house and something apprehended them. And they knocked on my door and said, what must we do to be saved? And their addictions were broken in my house. Come on, somebody. I'm talking to individuals, and I don't want to point them out because I don't want to embarrass them, but God's visiting people. I spoke, I spoke to a man two weeks ago. He said, in a dream, I saw a woman demon-possessed, and I saw me deliver her. He said, it was two weeks later, I was at a gathering. He said, I'm minding my own business at our house at the lake, and I'm cooking a hamburger, and I turned around, and there was a conversation going on with a woman on the deck that was brought by one of our family members, and all of a sudden I thought, oh, that's the one I saw in a dream. He said, next thing you know, the demon was manifesting. And he's like, oh my God, like this is actually happening. 
And in a moment of about 15, 20 minutes, speaking the word of God and praying a prayer of deliverance, that woman lost her demonic entities on a deck cooking hamburger. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you, it's time to arise and shine for your light has come. It's a vision that we'll be a powerful army of believers, but we'll also be well connected and purposed together in true spiritual community that we love not our lives unto death and we love one another in a deep level of covenant community. You can't, when you get in this level, and, I, and I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm going on, I'm on a roll now, so y'all just have to let me go for a little while. When you get to this level, that ain't, when you get to this level of, ha- of a house of light, it's not like, I don't think I'm going to that church anymore. Why? I don't really like the music. Come on. Oh, I, I don't think I'm going to that church anymore. You know, Kent offended me. Well, you know, that's going to happen. I mean, that's no-brainer, right? No, because this is covenant. You can't. When, me, I got a lot of family. And we all, all we're, we're, we. But we ain't leaving. Oh, we may have a shout fest and a throwdown. You know, I mean, right environment, we may even throw one or two. But, you know, I, but, but we ain't leaving. I can't leave my covenant blood relationship. And see, unfortunately, there's many in the body of Christ. You've never found this level because when you get here, I'm talking about a life force of love and commitment to one another that no enemy, a threefold cord cannot be broken. And when you get in that covenant level of relationship, when the devil comes after you, he's coming after me. And when the devil comes after me, he's coming after you. And we stand together and we fight together and we rejoice together. This is the church that Jesus said I will build and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is the church I want to be a part of. When somebody gets blessed, we all rejoice because we realize it may not be my season of blessing, but I rejoice it was your season of blessing. And if I'll rejoice with you, I know my season will come as well. like I'm on fire. One million dollars a year to try to help eradicate poverty. It's a lot of money. Twenty-five years ago, Bev woke up one morning. She said, "We got to go get a warehouse." Like, Excuse me? She said, "We got to go get a warehouse." She said, "I was in prayer, and God showed me warehouses full of food." Amen. And she said, "I don't know what it means, but it was like it was the end time Joseph program, like Joseph in the Bible, who went ahead of the people and had plenty of food stored up for a difficult time coming." 
So we're, we're living still in Orlando, and we're driving around looking for warehouses. That's how radical we've always been. And uh, I think we had like $800 in the bank. <laughs> you know, we're looking for a warehouse. That's the way we've always lived. So time went by, and we didn't find the warehouse because obviously we knew it wasn't the time, but it was a vision. And I'm ordained with a guy named Lester Summerall. Lester Summerall was a giant of the faith, and uh, he was an amazing man of God, uh, just a lot of vision in his life. He was the first civilian to own a C-130 aircraft to ship food around the world, first uh, preacher to ever preach on, uh, on radio worldwide on shortwave radio, first preacher ever to own a television station. Uh, he went to, uh, he had a church of 600 people, and the Lord came to him in a vision and said, give your church away and move to the Philippines. And start a church for me there. So he packed up him and his five kids and his wife, moved to the Philippines without anything other than the word. And they said, Lester, what's wrong with you? You and your family are going to perish if in, 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 in that part of the world, in the Philippines. He said, if we do, just put on our tombstones, the Summerall's died here trusting God. That's that, it's that kind of, I called him Lester the devil molester. You know what I mean? He was just, he was bad. Bad to the bone. Moved to the Philippines, started uh, preaching to his family, had nobody there but just his family. God told him to rent an aircraft, um, not aircraft, a hangar that seats 10,000 people to be his church. He said, Lord, there's you know, seven of us. And uh, so he did, and nothing happening. And then he saw in the newspaper a woman demon possessed in prison. And uh, his heart was really moved, like so bad that demons were biting through her skin. And, and he said, Lord, if I prayed and fasted, would you deliver her? He said, I sure would. So he went and he asked, could they pray for her? And they said, as long as 150 doctors and psychologists on our staff are there with you uh, to witness it, yes. And so he prayed, fasted, went, cast the devil out of her. She was miraculously, totally healed. The next day it was headlines, Manila, Philippines, of the miraculous event that had happened. And within 30 or 40 days, 10,000 people was in his church. And there's 30,000 there today still worshiping Jesus in the Philippines because of this man's life. So when he was 75 years old, he was in Jerusalem and the Lord came to him. And this is the relationship he had with the Lord. You're talking about vision. He's the Lord walked in his hotel room and shook him awake. Said, Lester, he, you know what Lester said? He said, Lord, a bit late, isn't it? <laughs> How would you love to have that relationship with Jesus? Right? Jesus walked in. I'd pee on myself, first of all, if Jesus shut me, woke me up. That's the first thing. Like, excuse me, Jesus, I'll be right back. I got to clean up. You know what it is? Right? I mean, bit late, isn't it, Lord? Lord said, yes, it's late prophetically. Get up. <laughs> Took him into another room and laid out at 75 years old. I want you to feed the nations. Hallelujah. I want you to feed. Told Lester at 75 years old, I want you to feed the nations. Feed my people, God said, who are hungry. That are starving. And he started at 75. He said, Lord, couldn't you have given me this vision, you know, when I was 30? Unbelievable. He started, he challenged people, fast a meal a week. Just one meal. Put it in my hands, I'll buy the food, and I'll take it to him. And he did. At 75 years old, he flew on every plane. 
I was with him. He bought a ship. I was with him in Africa, in Zimbabwe. But we pulled up in the ship and 300,000 Africans starving were lined up. It's like a tattooed in my heart. And we unloaded 50-pound bags of mush, protein-filled mush. 300,000. You can't imagine what 300,000 people look like lined up for food and watched them carrying that food back to their village. It's just staggering that we don't want to still believe there's 2.2 billion people on the earth that live on less than a dollar a day. But the good news is we're making a difference. 20 years ago, 50% of the world lived in poverty. Today, it's only 26%. It's not like we're failing. We're not failing. So I told you all that to say, when I started right before the Lord spoke to me to start this church, I was in North Carolina, and I was preaching, and that night, I had a night vision. I call it, I was dreaming, of course, asleep. But in the sleep, Lester Summerall came to me. And I, he, I said, I want your faith. He didn't hesitate. Bam, laid his hands on me. Backed up and looked at me. I said, I want to feed the hungry. Boy, he looked at me with those stern eyes. He said, are you sure you will feed the hungry? I said, yes, sir. He laid his hands on me, and I started just weeping in this dream. I woke up the next morning, and my pillow was sopping wet that I had physically been crying all night out of this experience. And I knew that this was something that God would want us to do. So when we started the church, the first thing we did was we gave away a tractor-trailer load of food. And we've endeavored over the last 17 years to make this a reality. We've learned a lot. We've made a lot of mistakes. We've, we've done charitable acts that I don't think were necessarily exactly the way God wanted them to do, even though they were good things to do. But, we're, but we've learned how to do it now. We've learned how to get food around the world. We're learning that microloans can make a huge difference because not only can we give them a fish, we can teach them how to fish and they'll feed themselves. And we're learning how to deal with poverty and how to deal with the poor. And Isaiah 58 is a clear instruction for us. It says this, Is this not the fast I've chosen, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out when you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Here's what will happen if you'll do that. If you'll consider the poor, your light will break forth like the morning, your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard, then you will call and the Lord will answer you will cry and he will say here I am what great promises to those who consider the poor so when you look at this simple vision as we're laying out how to get there it'll become more and more clear 5,000 worshipers a thousand houses of light this is simply accomplished by 10 one serve one this is accomplished as you find yourself in the equipping process so that you can lead a house of light effectively and learn how to minister to God's people. And this is simply established as you pray, fast, and give. Pray every week for the poor. Fast one meal a week. Give that minimum $5 to the poor. Put it in our hands. We'll put it together corporately. And it won't take long till we'll be able to apply a million dollars a year to ending poverty. You say, what does this mean to us? Well, 
Everywhere Paul went, he shared his vision. And this is what really touched me was in Acts 26. Paul's about to die. He's finished his course. The Bible says he's kept the faith. He's finished. And he's brought before King Agrippa. In front of the King Agrippa, Paul recounts his own story. He says in verse 14, And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I send now. For what purpose? Here we go. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by me in faith. Verse 19, therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. See, I believe life's a gift. I really do. I believe when God breathed into your lungs, it was a pure gift of God. And every breath you take is a gift. And every day you wake up, it's a gift. If that's true, then it's important what we do with it. And unless you've had a spiritual conversion, you don't understand this. But if, you had a, if you've had a spiritual conversion, you realize you're living differently than, than you used to because I'm not living for me anymore. I'm living for him. The one who gave his life for me, now I'm attempting to give my life for him. That's the way it works. Now, it sounds laborious, challenging, and it is. But I promise you, it's not boring. It's the most exciting adventure I have ever been on in my entire life, following Jesus. Debbie hit on it this morning. I, I, I love all the new music, but boy, I love the old ones too. And I woke up this morning with that old one, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And I don't expect everybody to buy into my vision. All I'm asking is that God give you one. And if that vision is part to be a part of this vision, then oh yes, please. We want that. But we determined a long time ago, we're not going to ask people to join our church. We're going to ask the Lord to join people to this church. And if the Lord is going to join you to this church, then the Lord will give you a vision, which is part of this. And so I just wanted to encourage you today that 
Some next steps, of course, are 10 one, serve one, the equipping class, freedom track. Today we have a Project 58 table set up. If you're not part of the Pray Fast Give, you can do that and take those steps. But the main thing is, I wanted to pray that God would open our spiritual eyes, your spiritual eyes, so that you can get a vision. You say, well, I'm too young. Well, all the disciples were teenagers. You say, well, I'm too old. Abraham was 99 when he started seeing the vision fulfilled. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. God wants to give you vision. God wants to open your spiritual eyes so that you can see and that you can walk in his purposes and his plans for your life. A three-pronged vision. 5,000 worshipers, 1,000 houses of light, and a million dollars a year to serve the poor. That's the vision here at World Alive. I believe as we take steps of faith to move in that, we're going to see God do supernatural things above and beyond what we could ever dream, think, or imagine in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand up with me this morning? Thank you, Lord. I want to just pray a prayer over you from the book of Ephesians. It's a really powerful scripture. And this is for people that you may have never been illuminated. Or you may have been illuminated and you've lost your vision. It happens. In my opinion, it's the number one tactic of the enemy. He wants to try to blind. Why did Jesus heal so many blind people? I believe because vision is so important. Why, do, why does the Bible continually talk about they had eyes but they could not see, ears that they could not hear? The enemy's always trying to, even in my life, he's trying to get me to focus on everything but what God called me to do. He'll throw distractions, discouragement. He'll throw everything else in your way to try to get you to lose the vision that God's placed in your life. But in Habakkuk, I like the word Habakkuk. Sounds like a form of skull or something like Habakkuk, like chewing tobacco. I don't know. But it, the book of Habakkuk said, write the vision. Make it plain that you can run when you read it. I challenge you. I'm going to pray a prayer with you today, and I challenge you. God's going God's to show you something. And it might be something along these lines. It might be something about your personal vision or purpose. But I challenge you, go home, write it down. Put it somewhere. Begin to walk in it. Begin to, begin to let God speak to you about what, what your portion's going to be in these days ahead. Last I looked, death toll rate's 100%. <laughs> Unless Jesus comes back, I'm for that. We're all going to die. And this deal's going to be over. And in my opinion, the only thing that's going to count is were we obedient to the heavenly vision? Because on that day, it doesn't matter, does it? All that matters is, did we walk in that vision? Did we walk in that purpose? Did we fulfill? And it's not a, I, I don't want that to sound like a legalistic condemnation thing. I just don't want you to get to heaven and realize how much you missed out on while you were here. I'm not saying you're not, not going to get in. <laughs> you, 
yeah. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. Right? So I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about not getting in. I'm talking about just getting there thinking, God. Oh. You mean you had all that that I could have been a part of? And I, and I forsook that to have this? Dad, I don't want that. I want to have done everything that God called me and created me to do and to walk in his purpose. People say, ask me all the time, say, Kent, you mean to tell me you just quit snorting cocaine just like that? I said, yep. You mean you just quit smoking weed just like that? Yep. You mean you never went back? Yep. You mean you never desired it? Never. You say, why? My eyes got open. Not how bad that was. My eyes got open to what God had called me to do. And, and look, right now today, I can go snort. Ain't nothing stopping me. I probably could go snort it, come back and tell you, you'd forgive me. <laughs> or maybe not. But that's not what constrains me. What constrains me is what I'm called to do, my purpose, my vision. When I get up every morning, I'm not thinking about that. Why? I'm thinking about this. Why? Because the, the a proverb says, where there is no vision, people cast off restraint. But see, all things are, expe are, are lawful, but all things aren't expedient. In other words, I realize there's some things I could do, but it's not taking me where I want to go on my journey and my purpose with God. So if you're here today and you got some hang-ups, habits, or addictions, quit focusing on that. Get you a vision of what God wants to do in your life. And now what will happen, that vision is powerful. It will begin to propel you as you follow that vision into God's purposes and God's plans. And I'm telling you, there's nothing like it in the world than knowing God, hearing from God, obeying God, and seeing the results that follow. It's life-giving. And so, Father, I simply pray for us today here at Word Alive that vision would be our portion. Amen. Ephesians 1 and 15 and 19, I pray this over you and myself. The message translation, I can't stop thanking God for you every time I pray. Every time I think of you, I give thanks. But here's one more than thing that I do than just thank God. I asked that the God of our master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make us intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally. That our eyes would be focused and clear so that we can see exactly what it is that he's calling each of us to do. That we can grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for his followers and oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy, boundless strength. Father, I thank you for opening eyes today and causing scales to fall off our eyes and moving us now even supernaturally in this season to a place of purpose and vision and destiny. Speak to us. 
show us what you have for us. I pray even tonight when people lay down on their beds and go to sleep, that they would sleep in that deep realm of sleep and that you would speak visions and dreams and revelations. Lord, I pray when we open the scriptures in the morning, you would speak clearly to us a rhema word about our calling and about our purpose. Lord, we pray here for Word Alive. We say, Lord, we thank you that the vision will be fulfilled with 5,000 worshipers, 1,000 houses of light, and a million dollars a year to Project 58 as we move forward in this season. Lord, we believe it. Now, Lord, I ask you to empower and encourage every person under the sound of my voice that you're calling to be part of this vision. Lord, in the spirit, open their eyes, let them see, let them understand, and let them take next steps to move forward in this season. Lord, we thank you for showing us the big picture of how the church is going to work in this season. We bless you, we honor you, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys. Be blessed. I'll see you next week. I hope you enjoyed this message. For more content like this, please visit wordalive.tv. If you're ready for your next step, you can sign up to attend Freedom Track through our online courses. Have a great week.